Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show once again, Bill Arnold with Dr. Peter Kapsner. You know, it is time to go back and study people from the Old Testament. Peter, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, this has been such a fun series so far. It's been great. Yeah. Great uh, topic, great guests, great everything, great fellowship, great discussions, and I'm learning a lot. I am too. They're able to bring some nuance to these characters that goes beyond maybe the board book Bibles that I would have grown up with. And and, uh, you see some of the rich themes that maybe I might know a little bit more from the New Testament, but you see them playing themselves out in all of these Old Testament characters. So the Bible is in this beautiful woven whole of all sorts of redemptive threads of what God is up to. Yeah. Last week, who said the most brilliant things on the show? Well, I, I think we did a fan poll, and I think you came out pretty pretty far ahead, Bill. No, I remember Bill Arnold. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't see that one coming. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. In. That was one of the most difficult episodes I have ever been a part of. I couldn't yeah. figure that the two of you, it really was, I, I was hearing voices in my head. I'm not talking about myself. We had Dr. Well, Bill T. Amazing. Arnold, an Old he, Testament professor from Asbury Seminary. Yeah. And we talked about Moses. And if you missed that, I really recommend going and uh, checking out the podcast because that was a fantastic hour. Yeah, he, the, I know we have been trying to get him because it is built on. Simply did, because right. of his name. And then he turned out to be this brilliant Old Testament <laughs> theologian on top of it. And he was accessible and fun and funny. And yeah. it was really a, a lovely episode. And he said he wanted to come back. Yeah, that's great. So he'll be back in January. He wants to talk about another Old Testament person. Well, I look forward to that. For sure. Well, there's plenty of them to choose from. So I'll look yeah. forward to that too. And do you know who we're speaking about today? I do. I do. Yeah. And you found out when? Uh, let's see. 11 minutes ago by my math. So it should be That is well not prepped. entirely true. <laughs> it that is, is not, not entirely, entirely true. Yeah. But uh, we're going to talk about Joshua today. And the book of Joshua was likely written between 1400 and 1370 BC. That goes back a ways. Well, and it's, it's a fun part of the narrative of the story because it's post-life of Mor- uh, Moses, and, it, and it's in this gap period between Moses and, and the new covenant uh, that the Israelites are given at Mount Sinai and then the kings of Saul and David and Solomon. And so this in-between time is a lesser-known time, I think, for a lot of people, even if they are familiar with the biblical text. Joshua and Judges, these two books, there's a lot that happens there, and yet, admittedly, other than maybe some walls of Jericho and a few other stories, I'm not terribly familiar with this part of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to learn today from my friend Tom Berkowitz. He's with us today. He's teaching leader at uh, Community Bible Study, and he's been doing that for over 20 years. And uh, we think of Tom as uh, not only a friend and a wise person, he's also a Messianic Jew. Tom, welcome. A wise person? I said wise. I love it. Take it when you can get it. Okay. (laughs) I will. Yeah. So we're going to study uh, Joshua with you today. I know, I think you've been teaching on it this year, haven't you? I have been. Okay. Uh, We're just finishing. We studied Joshua in six weeks, and the six weeks ends this Monday. We only got one hour. So we're going to have to do some serious condensing. Well, we will. Okay, good. We will, because I learned how to do it. Oh, excellent. All right. Where do we, where do we start? Well, let's start with um, the Jewish view of the book of Joshua. The Torah, 
the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, is the core of the whole Hebrew Bible. And the rabbis said, Joshua, like the first five books, the Torah, was given as a gift from God to the people of Israel. If Israel would not have sinned, the only books of the Old Testament would be the first five in Joshua, mm-hmm. because it was a gift. Mm. And because it tells of the promise that God made to Abram, Abraham some 500 years before this took place. So that's uh, an exciting thing. And that's how important the book is. And I think I fell in love with Joshua over. Every time I study it, I fall in love because he was a great guy. And the book starts 30 days after Moses died. So Moses, who led him for 40 years, he commissioned Joshua in Deuteronomy, last part of Deuteronomy 33, 34, somewhere in there. And now God comes and recommissions him, and he promises him this. Now, they're on the east side of the Jordan River. They have not entered the promised land yet. And God says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised Moses. So think about this. He made this promise to Abraham centuries before. They were enslaved for 400 years. And now, after wandering in the desert for 40 years, they're finally coming to the point where they can cross. And God says to Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. That's a great promise. That promise is also in the New Testament. It was given to us in Hebrews 13, 6, I believe. Same exact promise. But then God says something. Now I'm going to circle back and we can talk about this. In verse 6, he says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do everything according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And then in verse 9, it says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then you drop down, and he's talking now to the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And the last thing they say to him that ends chapter 1, whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your word, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So if you read that four times, you must think that uh, Joshua has problems with being strong (laughs) and courageous. 
Yeah, you were saying something interesting in the green room before the show, Tom, that actually to understand those passages in an entirely different way, this is not God trying to sort of pump up somebody who otherwise is relatively weak in their leadership. You went behind the scenes in a different kind of way with these passages. I did. I Josephus, so in the first century A.D., he wrote in his history, and I, I believe they're accurate, that Joshua, Joshua was actually used by the pharaoh to lead a battalion of Egyptians against their war with the Ethiopians, and he won. So this guy's a battle-hardened veteran. We know in Exodus 17, he led the Amalekites. So why would they tell him not to be strong and not to fear and do not be dismayed? Well, first of all, the first thing I, when I was studying this, and I just, I did a, some deep dives, so I'm not going to take all your time on it, but the word strong in Hebrew is hazak. It's to be strong, but it literally means to be firm in mind and emotions. Hmm. So your mind and your emotions are firm. And what is it firm on? It's what God told him. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. I think God is telling him in this, forget what you did for the Egyptians. You depended on them. In that fight against the Amalekites, Moses lifted out, his staff, and every time he held it up, you prevailed. When it went down, you didn't. I'm telling you, you have to rely on me because I'm the one that's going to deliver it. Your natural abilities and all the things that you have to fight are not what's going to make you prevail. So he was already a strong man, but now he's saying, be firm in this, that I will lead you. Do not be led by your emotions because stuff happens in war. We, we can lose our emotions and we can um, lose our way. But he said, God said, keep your eyes fixed on me. Then you'll prosper in what I send you and you'll have success. Hmm. So that's that lesson there in itself really turned my props. It seems like the Old Testament is, is filled with stories of how people, you know, forgot God and his word and then ended up suffering horrible consequences. Yes, yes. And Joshua's name in Hebrew is Yehoshua, and Jesus is Yeshua, and they're the same derivative. Mm -hmm. He saves, and it would be like Jonathan to John, if that makes sense. It does. So mm -hmm. he's going to save his people, and he's going to do it. So Joshua now has this great thing. He's on the east bank of the Jordan, and he's got to lead his people into the promised land. And he's got to take on the town of Jericho. And they probably had the same amount of uh, warriors that uh, Israel had, but they had a walled city. But Joshua learned from his mistakes. You know how when Moses sent out the 12 spies, he said, I'm going to send you out, search the land for 40, then come back and tell us all what you did. Joshua said, done that program. It didn't work. <laughs> he sent out two spies, and you only come back and report to me and tell me what you see. So he's a smart guy, too, mm. and God is using him. Interesting. I would love to hear a little bit, too, about 
the, the mentorship that Moses gave Joshua. I don't know much about that, but... Um, yeah, that was something else, actually, that I think we were just chatting about. That really? He, that he, in, the, in the green room beforehand, yeah, I asked... I don't like you guys having side conversations oh, yeah. in well, the green well, room. Again, it was that extensive prep. I mean, not just days, but the, the, those yeah. 11 minutes. So, minutes. Yeah. 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 We'll take a little break. we come back. We'll continue our discussion with Tom Berkowitz on Joshua. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are so glad to continue this series of people from the Old Testament. We're going to do it for a long time because we have a lot to learn. We'll be right back. that from Joshua chapter one. Tom Berkowitz is our guest. Dr. Peter Kaffner and I are learning all kinds of things about Joshua. So I would guess that uh, he watched Moses pretty carefully. And I think, didn't he learn to pray in kind of a personal way from Moses? He did. Mm -hmm. He was with Moses when uh, he waited for Moses to come down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. He, when he went into the tabernacle, Joshua would stand there and wait. And when Moses left, Joshua would guard the door. So he was around Moses. And when Moses laid hands on him to commission him, and we see that at the end of Deuteronomy, God took some of the spirit of Moses and put it on Joshua. So, I mean, it's that laying on the hands is a, is really a symbol of transferring the power, the Holy Spirit. Remember, Israel was a theocracy, not a democracy and not a monarchy. So God chose Moses. Mm-hmm. He empowered him. And because God chose him, no one could take that away. And that's why in um, Numbers 16, when there was a rebellion and they charged, they came against uh, Moses' authority, God opened up the earth, took care of about 256 of them, and the people got the idea, don't challenge Moses. And when Miriam, Moses' sister, challenged him and his Ethiopian wife, she got leprosy. So it's a bad thing to challenge, because what you're doing is you're not challenging Moses, you're challenging God. It's not that way today, but back then it was. And he conferred that to Joshua. Now, the people said they accepted that, but it wasn't until we're three chapters in and after the piling up of the waters of the Jordan, it went for 12 miles. It piled up and it was dry for 12 miles so that they could walk through. Did the people then look at... Uh, it says in verse 14, uh, 414, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. So it was an awesome responsibility. And, you know, Joshua had to lay his way of doing things on the ground, and he had to follow the Lord's commandment. Because remember what we said just last time, do not let this book of the uh, law depart from your mouth. 
meditate on it day and night. So what is here's a great military plan. They get on for the first time. They are in the promised land. They're camped, okay, ready to go. And what's the f- and there's millions of ites all around, Amorites, Hevites, he uh, Hittites. They're all there. And God put a, a spirit of fear in them. And I was wondering, why did he do that? Well, the first thing that they did when they crossed, they had to renew the covenant with God. Because for 40 years, they didn't circumcise any of their young people. So they're out of fellowship and out of covenant with God. So that day, God put it a command, recircumcise them. When he says recircumcise, he didn't do it again. Reestablish the covenant of circumcision. So that day, they circumcised 700,000 Israel soldiers. Think about that. And they're suffering. And we know that if God wouldn't have put a spear, a fear, spirit of fear in the, in the ites, they would have came down. That would have been an ideal time. Because we know back in Genesis 13 when uh, Levi and Simeon duped uh, Shechem uh, and Hamar to circumcise all their people, all their Hevites, uh, when they were suffering and in pain, they came in and killed them all. So... I mean, I don't think that's a mistake. God had to put it in in there. But 700,000 guys. Mm. Tom, I'm wondering <laughs> if you could say a bit uh, a bit more about um, just that entrance into the, the promised land from the lens of the geography of the 12 miles that you referenced, the piling up of the waters. I'm thinking back to the story. This isn't the first time that they've come to the edge of the promised land. The first time they did, they looked into the land and said, yeah, I don't think we can take this thing. There's giants in the land. We really can't walk in. They didn't walk and trust into that land. And so God sent them back out in the wilderness. Now my understanding is that that Jordan River, if they were to put their foot in the, those waters, they'd be swept away. And, and so there was this profound act of trust that they had to engage with to actually enter into the promised land after these 40 years where they hadn't trusted. Right. So they trusted the Lord. They entered into that covenant and what happened is that was on the 10th of Abib or the 10th of Nisan because it was a day of preparation because in four days they were going to celebrate for the first time in 38 years the Passover. They couldn't do it before because if you weren't circumcised, you couldn't have the Passover. So they were going to do it. So these guys, you know, when... um when I read the passage, and you read the passage, they needed time to heal. Well, I thought maybe a year, two years, but these guys had four days because they had the Passover. So what did they do first? They entered, renewed the covenant. The second thing they did was they were obedient to, to do the Passover. And the third thing that happened is the very next day, the manna dried up. And they're eating from the fruit of the land. So when we walk into the spiritual presence of God, we can feed off his provision and off the land that he gave them. It was a great promise. Mm -hmm. I love that Joshua 1.9. I think I memorized that a long time ago. And it says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And 
think of this promise was specific to Joshua's role, right, as leader of the Israelites, and he took them into the promised land. So would this promise apply to Christians today? Yes, I really believe it It does. Okay. If we're obedient and if we humble ourselves before God, I believe we have God's promise and his blessing on us. Throughout the book of Joshua, God honored their obedience and he punished their disobedience. And I don't think it's cause and effect because God never demanded perfection from them, but he demanded their heart be set on him. Because Joshua made some mistakes. He struck a, a treaty with the Gibbonites without, in violation of the law, in ignorance, without consulting the Lord. And the Lord didn't curse him. He hmm. actually blessed him. Because he doesn't expect perfection, but he does expect our heart to be on him. And if Joshua would have not been duped by the Gibbonites, he would have followed through with God's commandments. Hmm. Peter, do you think you would have cut a deal with the Gibbonites? Oh, I think I think there's every chance I might have. But I, I've been thinking about the fact that if this applies to us, I might just come into your yard, where, and your yard becomes my, my territory, wherever the sole of my foot treads, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom, I am curious on, uh, on just something that you just said about Joshua, that he did fail, but God did not leave him. And how is that different than Saul, who later in the story fails miserably with a sacrifice he shouldn't have given, and yet God then does depart from him? Well, I think that's a great question, Peter. He asks harder questions than I do, doesn't he? (laughs) I don't know, Bill. (laughs) It's the matter of your heart. We just talked about that. When, let me take you back to Joshua 7, after Achan disobeyed and and, uh, took some of the things voted for destruction, and Israel attacked Ai and they lost 36 men because of, of that disobedience. Joshua fasted, prayed, put ashes on, and at the end of his prayer, and I think it's in 710, he says, God, your holy name is going to be profaned. How do we honor your holy And that's a rough paraphrase. When Saul sinned, all Saul really cared about was himself. Mm. The punishment that he was going to receive, he never turned to God, I profaned your name by being disobedient. With the Gibeonites, what did what did uh, uh, Joshua do? Because when he cursed the Gibeonites, that came from God. Mm. But he honored his commitment because he didn't want to profane the name of God. And maybe the next segment we can talk start the wars that they're going to do. But he was obedient. So it's a heart matter. Love Let's that. do that. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Tom Berkowitz, continuing our study of Joshua. Get your Bibles out. We'll be right back.
So glad to have Tom Berkowitz as our guest. We're talking about Joshua. And even during the break, we were talking about stuff that I thought, ooh, even though it's in Scripture, that is a very sensitive topic that They're, I think we'll get to. Yeah, I think so. These are triple-line ones that, are, that we're very to. troubling. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. For sure. But what about the walls of Jericho? Okay, well, that battle plan made absolutely no sense <laughs> agree, <laughs> in the world. I mean, let's see. Let's take our whole army, lead it full of priests, and let's walk around in a circle and nobody say a word. <laughs> Blow your trumpets. And then you do that every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, you blow your trumpet seven times and you scream at the top of your lungs. And the walls, in Jewish tradition, they don't fall down. In Jewish tradition, because how would, if they fell down, how would you get, you'd have to climb over the walls to get to to the Amorites who lived in Jericho, and you'd be a sitting duck. They believe that the earth opened and swallowed the walls so they can walk in. Whoa. And that's in archaeology. They found them deep down, but they find everything deep down. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't dissuade it, and it's not in the Bible, but... The Hebrew words would allow for that to happen. Wow. So now they go in, and the karim, that's uh, C-H-E-R-E-M, it means uh, designated for destruction or under the ban. So they killed every man, woman, and child. But something happened. One of their people, Aachen, Aachen, however you want to say it, uh, saw something and he took it. And I'll get to that in just a second. So now they've conquered it. They're feeling good. They're a little bit cocky. And once again, Joshua sends out some spies to look at AI. And they come back, don't send the whole people. We'll do it. And why didn't you, they want to send the whole people? They were at 900 feet below sea level. AI was 2,600 feet above sea level. And that's, and it was also uh, 20 miles away. So that's an uphill climb. Why bother everyone in a very hot, hot area during that time of year? Well, make a long story short, AI defeated them because what they didn't do a very good job of spying. They just thought there were a few soldiers, but there were over 12,000 to 15,000. They had 3,000 men, so not a very bright move. And once again, they didn't consult the Lord. They did it in their own flesh. The very thing God said, don't do. Be strong and very courageous. Keep your mind and your heart firm on me. So anyway, they found out, and now there is a big problem because up until that time, everybody in the land of Cana and everybody is surrounded, heard what they did to the Egyptians, what they did to the Amorites on the east side, and what they did to Jericho, a strong city, and now they got beat by little lowly I, AI, and now they got a problem. We're going to get wiped out. Joshua's concerned um, that about the name of the Lord, so he's fasting praying, and God says, get up. Why are you on your face? I'll solve this problem. So 
make a long story short, they drew lots, and from the tribe of Joshua out of Zerah comes comes uh, Achan, and they go. They Joshua says, "Tell me, son, tell me what you did, and confess it before God." He said, "Here's what he says, my son, give glory to." To the Lord God of Israel. That's a phrase is confess what you did. Tell me your sin. We see it also in John 9.24 when uh, Sanhedrin was interviewing the, uh, was a blind guy or the lame guy. And they said to him, give glory to God. Tell us what it is. Give us the truth and nothing more. So Achan said, when I saw the spoil, a beautiful cloak from Shinir, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them, and I took them. And these are the three step, steps to basically all sin. I saw, I coveted, and I took. And it's, if you look at it, a beautiful cloak from Shinar, Shinir. Uh, go back to Genesis 9. What did they do? They were in Shinir, and they started worshiping idols. And that's what this was. He saw an idol, he coveted it, or he wanted it, and he took it. Think about our sins today. Isn't that what we do? I saw, it's like I told Marsha I'm going to lose weight. I'm cutting off the ice cream. I opened up the freezer, and there it was sitting. I saw it. <laughs> I wanted it. No, I coveted it, mm-hmm. and I took it. The pounds keep coming. <laughs> but that was a simple, but that's what we do, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's what we do. So now the punishment comes. Back in Joshua 6, when they gave the Karen, they said, if you do not honor this, the the judgment against Jericho will fall back on you. And remember, this is a theocracy. This is not about an individual. This affected the whole the whole nation of Israel. So something had to be done. So the Karim um, Kursk came now on Israel, and in order to enter back into covenant that sin had to be paid for, and it was paid for in blood. That's why Achan lost his life, his wife, their sons and daughters, and all the animals. They were cut off from the name of Israel because it was God's judgment on them. It wasn't, it wasn't Joshua's judgment on them. It was God's judgment, and he forewarned them, and he ignored it. So it sounds harsh, but in Jewish view of the end times, they said, if you confess your sin before God, just what Achan did when I read, he will forgive you, you'll suffer the punishment, but at the end of days, you will have a stake in that. So in other words, you've confessed your sins, you received your punishment, and God, at the end of days, as the world goes on, you will be there. 
Mm-hmm. Tom, can you say just a, a bit more about that idea of the curse that came upon them, as well as then the payment of that curse through blood? Because this is a lot of New Testament language that I'm hearing as well in terms of the curse of sin and the blood that was shed. Is there any parallel with this within, with New Testament covenant? Well, I mean, one would be, I think it's in um, Acts 5, when Ananias and Sapphira and what their sin was, they challenged, they mocked the Holy Spirit by saying they did something they didn't do, and there was no need for them to do that. Hmm. That would be it. Um, There's places all throughout the Bible that that's happened, where somebody uh, coveted something and the curse that was on them came on, or on that other person came on them for their disobedience. Hmm. So after the destruction of Jericho, Joshua placed a curse on anyone attempting to rebuild it. He did. Yeah. And that's good, but you have to understand what that curse was. The curse was not on the city itself, because we know other places in Joshua and Judges that people lived there. It was in the territory of Benjamin. So the Benjaminites lived there. But it was on laying the foundations and the gate to a fortified city. So for 400 years or so, it was just a city where people came in and out. And then during the, uh, the reign of King Ahab, uh, a guy built up the walls at the cost of his first son, mm-hmm. and he laid the doors at the cost of his youngest. So that curse did come through. Hmm. Tom, the story of this Jericho falling, the city falling, came up a couple of weeks ago on, on one of the Faith Radio episodes, and a listener wrote in and said that the blowing of the trumpets was actually significant in terms of, significant in terms of the symbolism or the walking around for seven days. I mean, these are stories that when I read them, they seem like relatively random details. But as you're taking us kind of into the story with some of the words of the Hebrew and the context, is there anything to be learned from seven days, from the trumpets, anything like that? Well, the trumpets in the seven days, seven is a number of perfection or completion. So that's one thing. The blowing of the trumpets and the sound, you could refer it to Yom Teruah, which is a feast of trumpets, which we you learn about in Leviticus 23. And many believe that when the trumpets blow, Jesus will hear and come back. Hmm. So if you can, I wouldn't die on that hill, but I would, you know, a lot of people have made that connection. Let's talk about Aiken some more. Am I saying that right? Aiken. 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 Yeah. Um, he. He doesn't care. Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of a troublemaker, wasn't he? Actually, he was, uh, he was not a troublemaker, but his, the valley where they, buried him is now called Troubler. Interesting. Okay. So he did trouble Israel. He cost 36 people their lives and slowed them down. And the other sin is in um, Joshua 10, 1 and 2. When the Amorites came, they no longer had that dread of Israel. Because mm-hmm. after Achan was judged, isn't that when we get the, the, the verse do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Isn't that when that shows up? Do you know? I I thought that happened in Joshua 1. 
there. Do it, not be afraid. Yeah, right. Or but it's reasserted at this point as a sort of thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, yeah. But then they went on to uh, Joshua made another mistake. Now, Joshua lived for 110 years. He received everything else that Moses did, but Moses lived for 120 years. So, so the rabbis had to come up with the reason for the 10 years because he made peace with the Gibeonites without consulting God. They took 10 years off his life. Mm-hmm. Do we see the story or the person of Achan as a reminder of the penalty of the sin? Uh, the penalty of sin is death. It is. Mm-hmm. Well, I know it is, but is yes. that an illustration? It perhaps? is an illustration. And we see that throughout the the Old Testament. We also see it in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. All right, let me take a little break. We're talking to Tom Berkowitz. We're discussing Joshua today. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are so glad to have him with us in studio today. We'll be right back in just a minute. is such a good add to the Bill Play Mix. It that, really is. I love this, this is really yeah. a good one. Yeah, 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 indeed. We're talking about Joshua today with Tom Berkowitz. Oh, let's get to the judgment. This is not going to be easy, but I think you'll do a nice job on it. Okay. We'll make it short. Okay. Because we all want to end on a high note. Yes, because that's what the really story of Joshua is about. But God gave a command that every man, woman, and children of the Amorites would be killed. They're dedicated to destruction. So how can a loving God do that? And that's a question that's often answered twenty in century 21. Mm-hmm. So let me do this real quick. And I don't have a board to give you an illustration, but think of it this way. Hold up two fists. On one fist, God is a God of love. On the other fist, God is holy. And those have to be held in tension. If you focus too much on the God as a love, what happens is anything goes. You can make the Bible say, oh, this is good. This sin is good. This lifestyle is okay. Premarital sex is okay. Because God is love. He wants the best for us. And if you focus too much on the holiness without holding intention with love, that's where the legalism comes in. That's where... Nobody's going to be saved because nobody can possibly live up to this holiness. But God is both holy and he is love. And where it says, I am a jealous God, what is he jealous about? He's jealous for his holiness and he's jealous for his love. And he wants to give us all mercy, but he will not do it at the sake of his holiness. So let's take a look at the Amorites. You have to go back to Genesis Nine, after the ark opens up and Noah and his wife, uh, Shem and his wife, um, Ham and his wife, and Japheth 
and his wife come out. They're, so there's eight of them. They come out. And later on, uh, Noah becomes a, a wine guy. He has a vineyard, but he loves the fruit of the vine, and he's drunk. And Ham went in there and exposed his nakedness. We don't have enough time to explain that, but he did. And when Noah woke up, funny thing happened. He looked at Ham, but he cursed Cana. Cana was a fourth son of Ham. And what did he see? What did Noah see in him that would cause him to curse? And then in Genesis 15, God said that Israel will be out of the land for 400 years because the iniquity of the Amorites had not reached its fullness. So the Amorites, if you look in um, Genesis 10, were descendants of Cana. Cana had sons, and if you read the sons of Cana, it's everyone that's in the land of Cana and that God told to get out. So God gave them 400 years to repent, and there is a, it is a reality of life. There is a point of no return when there's a fullness of evil. And God's judgment is going to come on him. He's the one that issued, instituted it. It wasn't Joshua, and it wasn't out of revenge. God said, they're so evil. And if you look at what the Canaanites did and what they believed, he's so evil that I'm going to destroy them. And I'm going to use Israel as my rod of punishment. Tom, I've seen in uh, Genesis chapter 6, I believe it is, that just before the flood of Noah, that the people of the land are described as that as every heart is inclined towards evil all the time. And so th- this move of God that you're describing seems to come not as his first move, not as his pervasive move, not as something that we need to be terrified at all times of, but there is a moment in which sin has done its complete work that then God cuts it off not only for that, but on behalf of the future as well, from what I understand. Right. And the way I, the only way in it, during the, the crossing of the Red Sea and during the, the tenth plague, the plague of where um, the firstborn are dying, in the Passover Haggadah that we have, the telling, the people of Israel, it says, were cheering because the Egyptians were destroyed. And God rebuked him. Do not. Uh, these people are made in the image of of me, do not rejoice over their dying, because my desire is for them not to die. And they were evil, and they were ref- they were um, rebelling against God. And the same thing with the Amorites. I'm sure God had tears in his eyes when he did it, but he had to. It'd be like having gangrene on one part of your body. If you didn't amputate it, mm-hmm. you're going to die. Mm-hmm. So that's how I would touch it. You said the last three chapters of the book are sort of a high note uh, that this story ends with. Yes, it is. In chapter 22, the war is over, and now they send a two and a half, they dispatch the two and a half uh, tribes back to the east side of the Jordan. So as they go back, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, they get right to the edge of the Jordan, and they make this huge altar copying exact copy of the oneness in at Shiloh at Shechem and 
but it's a lot bigger. The rest of the 10 tribes get a, uh, a hearing of this, and they said, we got to put a stop to it. So they go, and they're going to eliminate, they're going to take their, all their tribes, and they're going to eliminate them if that's a sin. And during the course of the conversation, they, re, they listened to the, what the idea was behind it, and they all rejoiced in God, and now they have the full story. So the first thing I get from that is, is when we hear something about someone else, don't spread the rumor. Go directly to them and talk to them. And what was the altar? The altar became the witness. And that's what they named it at the end of chapter 22. And what was it witnessing? When we trust the Lord and we go to those who have wronged or those that have bad theology and we talk, the thing it does is it leads us back to proper worship of the Lord because that's what they did. We're going to worship the Lord just like you. And proper worship of the Lord always brings unity. So now the it wasn't 10 against uh, the two tribes, it was the 12 tribes all in unison. And then Joshua went on to chapter 23, and he renewed the covenant with them. They said yes. In chapter 24, Joshua said, we didn't drive out everyone. I'm paraphrasing. They're still here, and now you're going to have to decide who you're going to serve. Think back years ago when we were fighting the Amorite kings and Joshua asked for the sun and the moon to stand still. What it did is it made a 24-hour day into 48 hours and the sun and the moon were gods, were worshipped by the Canaanites, by the Amorites. And it said God is above them, and he controls them. I created them. If I want them to stand still, they will. So it's foolish to worship them. And what Joshua is saying is don't worship their God. Worship me. I'm the God, and I will bless you, and I will keep you. And all the people recommitted to the Lord. They restated the commandment and the, and the covenant. And Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourself today because you said you're going to do this. And God has heard, and he will hold you accountable to that. And he's again, he's not asking us to be perfect. He knows we're not. But he's asking our heart to be towards him. So just a little bit of time left, maybe a couple of takeaways from the life of Joshua. Certainly that, you know, one takeaway would be God is faithful to his promises. He is. Uh, as a certainty. He is. And I think it goes back to Joshua 1a. Do not let this book, we call it the law, but it's in the Hebrew, it means instruction. Mm-hmm. Do not let this book of the destruction of instruction depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do the, all this in it. Peter and Bill, I've heard you guys talk about meditating do you go out and sin after you're meditating on the Lord? If you somebody wrongs you, I just meditated on the Lord. I'm going to show them some forbearance and love. I'm mm-hmm. going to forgive them, and let's have unity. 
That's what he's saying. Don't let this depart. Think about it every day. You know, I've been walking with the Lord for 42 years. 37 of those 42 years, each year I read through the Bible. Over and above all my studying and everything else. So I have the context of God's Word, the totality in my heart. And i got to tell you, you ask my wife, Marsha, I can be a shipwreck but at least I know what it is, and I can meditate on it, and I can write the ship. <laughs> at least you know what you're shipwrecking about. <laughs> <laughs> so, Peter, it's safe to say one of the reasons we don't study Old Testament too much is those names are hard to pronounce. They're extremely hard to pronounce, yes, among yeah. many reasons. But, yeah. but to have somebody that uh, who is Messianic Jewish and, and has the just the fullness of that yeah, tradition great. into this has been fabulous, Tom. Tom, always it. great to be with you. Thanks so much for coming in and talking about Joshua. Thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah, and of course, tomorrow we've got Big Guy Talk Live. Peter, that's going to be fun. We it's going to be so fun. Live. I saw them planning the auditorium down there really? to sit in. Yeah, absolutely. I when I was walking in, myself. it was great. I love it. Well, we look forward to in, uh, having people show up, the people who have said yes to coming. We were looking forward to meeting you and having uh, Guy Talk Live. So it's going to be fun. It will be. It yeah. just yeah. To, to see the listeners in place in this in this building is just going to be really oh, fun. It's going to be, be delightful. Yep. Yeah. We'll see you tomorrow and see many of you in person. I can't wait. Have a great night, everyone. And I wish you and bless you and want you to know that God loves you. I love you, and I hope you have a good night. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.